I mean, talking about it isn't going to make me more suicidal. If anything, it's almost the opposite. I feel like secrecy is the place where things get worse. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives. We almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and I hope better conversations with attempt survivors. I'm going to keep trying. I want to thank all of the attempt survivors who have joined me here on this podcast since we launched back in July of 2020. Thank you. And of course, to our listeners, we are getting more and more each week. I really appreciate your support. Now, if you're a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to join me here on the podcast, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And we will have a website up soon, which will allow you to send an audio recording. That could be a question, that could be a comment, that could be any number of things. I'll let you know when it's live. I'm excited about this. I think it will help more people find this podcast, which is what we want. Now, remember, we're talking about suicide here on this podcast, so it may not be a good fit for everybody. Please take that into account before you listen. I do hope you listen because there is a whole lot to learn. Today, I am talking with Marley. Marley lives in Michigan, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Marley, how are you? Good, how are you? Thanks for reaching out, and thanks for being open to talking. Where do we start? That's a tough one. Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, I guess when I was about 14 slash 15 years old is the first time I really started to think about attempting. Legit, like, I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. Mm. I started struggling with depression really bad during those years, developed an eating disorder, self-harm addiction, and I really kept it all to myself. So this is all like stuff you're doing in your bedroom or in a school bathroom or private places no one would find out about? Mm -hmm. That's hard. Yeah, it was definitely one of the hardest times in my life for sure. Definitely very alone. And that's when I first started to think about suicide as an option. Did you? How did you know about that possibility? Or maybe we don't need to be introduced to it. It's just sort of, we know it's there. Yeah, I, I just kind of knew. If anything, I felt like I was, it was never really talked about at school or at home or anything. So I thought I was, I don't know, crazy because I was having all these thoughts. And <laughs> Yeah, and you're the only one in your mind. Mm-hmm. And you're 14 or 15. Um, did you have a tattoo at 14? No, I did not. <laughs> when did you get the tattoo? I was 20 when I got that. Nice. I like it. Thanks. All right. So you're 14 or 15 and you start to have these thoughts. How do you, if you recall, sort of work yourself through that? If you did, maybe, maybe, maybe you didn't. Well, I did have one almost attempt during that time. You know, I knew where my dad's gun was in the house and I went to their room put it up to my head. And then I actually stopped. Well, for a few reasons, a, I couldn't 
I just don't like, I couldn't get over like, just it grossed me out thinking about like, mm. well, it did not like that way. Um, right. And I didn't want to make my parents see that in a weird way. I didn't want my parents to blame themselves for me using their gun. So I kind of mm. stopped that. Came close. Mm-hmm. Got the gun. Was it loaded? Mm-hmm. You were close. Little little misstep and you're done. It's so interesting when I talk to whoever I talk to about, it's like so many things I'm curious about. Does anybody know about that? Almost attempt with the gun? Um, my husband does. He does. Did you know him mm-hmm. back then? No. You hadn't met yet? Mm-mm. So you've shared that with him? He's a good listener. So. so did you get to a point in your teens where you didn't want to, well, you wanted to live, I guess. Maybe a little bit. I really just didn't. I mean, eventually I did get caught with the eating disorder and the, and the cutting. It almost felt like I was in trouble for being the way I was rather than it felt like I should be guilty. And so I, I almost, I got, I don't know if you want to say better for a little while, but it was really just like me not wanting to get in trouble. That doesn't surprise me, but it makes me think it's probably fairly common, right? This idea that you did something bad, punish which is astounding. Not always, I'm sure not always, but often this is how we respond. I'm not saying people in your life did this, but it makes me think like, I'm going to scare you or guilt you into not doing that. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get to, if such a thing is possible, a sort of source of the pain, the reason why behind all of this stuff? No, I'm still working that out. <laughs> yeah, Right. Yeah, I, I sometimes hesitate to ask that question. Like, well, why did you want to die? It's maybe not the fairest question, but I am curious. Some people can answer it. Not most can. It's a tricky one. I just think, I always wonder, like, are some people born, they're just, that's the path they're going to be on no matter what, or I don't know. It's an interesting question. <laughs> yes. Did you go to college? I did, yeah. What did you study? Political theory. Ooh. So. I don't use it now. No. <laughs> Did you get, you got through college? Yes. Was it as challenging as your teenage years? Yeah. I'd say I got through college probably by drinking through college. I mean, it was challenging just in different ways. So we go, and if I remember correctly, it was last year that you attempted. Is that right? Mm -hmm. October. So at that point, it's getting all jumbled in my head now. We've been in the lockdown for a while. Yep. You know, there's not a specific thing that really set me off. It was Mm -hmm. just, I'd been living, struggling for a while with the depression and the drinking and just started to really spiral towards the end of summer. You know, I would drink more and then get more depressed and the suicidal thoughts would come more frequently and stronger and just kind of took its toll after a while. Yeah. So if if you're comfortable sharing... What actually happens? Yeah. So you're drinking some one particular day for whatever reason in October, you take one additional step. I actually had it planned out like a month in advance. Okay. I had started researching and one night I got, of course I was pretty drunk and I decided, oh, tonight's going to be the night. But it, it seemed like too much work to swallow 200 pills. So I actually crushed them up. Right when I'd finished that, I got a text that my husband was on his way home. So I decided, you know what, not tonight. Mm -hmm. So he has no idea. No. So I kind of put them in a 
a bottle in my nightstand and it was there for a month. I said I'd give my, you know, a month to to see if I could feel better and, and figure it out, but obviously I didn't. About a month later, one day I was just decided today was the day. What is it like to wake up and make that decision? This is my last day on earth. I was kind of ambivalent about it. On the one hand, like I had everything planned out. I wrote my note. I had everything ready, but I was still like some part of me was like, am I actually going to do it? Like, I don't Mm. know. I might not have the guts. I don't know if I'll actually. And so it was kind of just a weird, it was just a weird day of going back and forth of being like, yeah, I'm going to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I actually had a doctor's appointment that day. And I was like, yeah, I'll tell the doctor, but then I couldn't get, I just couldn't get the words out. So it was, it was a weird day. There's something about hearing the word ambivalent that feels more, I don't know what the word I'm thinking of is concerning, I guess, than if you were freaking out. Something about freaking out makes me think this person is really fighting against this impulse. Ambivalence, it's like, I'm done. In my mind, I'm not saying that's how you felt like, eh. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, that makes sense. I mean, it, I wasn't freaking out, so right. I was calm the whole time. Don't tell your doctor. You crush up the pills. Am I having? Am I correct here? Mm-hmm. In your home, your home, your husband's not home. No, he at the time he had to spend a month at a hospital on the other side of the state uh, for okay. medical school, so he was out of town for a month. He knows you and your life and your struggles, mm-hmm. but he has no idea that this is happening. I mean, he knew I was having a harder time. Uh, I wasn't supposed to be spending, like I was supposed to be like seeing family on evening nights and stuff to not be alone, but right, I didn't really listen to that. So you're home alone. Mm-hmm. Crush up the pills, a lot of pills, mix it up and drink it. Yeah. And that's actually kind of probably what saved me. It was hard to drink. <laughs> okay. It, like to actually get it down. Yeah. I just would take like a few sips and immediately start to throw up and I'd already had like a lot of liquor by this point but I'd not I didn't manage to actually finish the whole thing because I couldn't stop throwing up did you pass out that night do you remember what happened yeah so what happened my husband called in the middle of all that and I don't know why I answered the phone because it's kind of all blurry a little bit at this point but I answered and he I mean he immediately knew that something was wrong because I could barely talk. And he ended up calling 911. And I was sort of still conscious when they came in the door, but it's not a whole lot I remember. Was that from the alcohol or also from the pills or some of the pills that you were able to swallow? Yeah, because it was quite a high concentration in the in the drink. So mm. a mix of both. You go to the hospital? Mm-hmm. Charcoal? Yep. Stomach pumped? Actually, no, I ended up puking most of it up. So I I didn't have to have my stomach pumped. Did anybody ask you why you did that? Yeah. Did you tell them the truth? I just said, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Is that how you feel now? I mean, that is the truth in a way. I mean, why I did it, it's just because life was too unbearable. Mm -hmm. It's hard for people to understand like the amount of pain that goes on behind the scenes to, to get to that point. Yeah, I don't think people typically make that choice if they're not in a lot of pain. There might be exceptions, but very few. Mm-hmm. How long are you in the hospital for? Are you there overnight? 
two weeks. All right. So this wasn't just pump your stomach hospital or. Yeah, it was a mix of both. <laughs> two weeks. Is that enough time to uh, figure it out and get you off and get you started in the right direction? No, not really. You know, I kind of came out and went right back to scheduled programming, went right back to work. I don't know. It was kind of like I was in a weird state of shock for the first like month. I mean, but eventually I just kind of fell back to to where I was before it all. What'd your husband say? He was really obviously sad. I mean, he would have been absolutely devastated if I had died, which is part of the only reason I'm still here in a way. Mm -hmm. So if you were single, maybe we're not having this conversation. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, there's my parents too, but. Sure. Do you remember, did you keep the note? He kept it. Yeah. I I know it's somewhere in his desks. Oh, so you try, you go to the hospital, you wake up, you're there for a couple of weeks. And like you said, I was going to ask, what's it like to be alive after wanting to die? But you kind of answered it sort of with, you went back to your life. I mean, at that point, are you, whether it was during the hospital stay or afterwards thinking, I don't know when, but I'm going to do this again at some point. Is mm-hmm. that going through your head? It was, yeah. Is it, it was or it is? Both. <laughs> it's tricky because not that so many people hear this podcast, but if you tell people the world you are planning, we know what they're going to do, right? Probably you're going to get taken away. And I'm not suggesting that's the right or wrong thing to do, but that's how we respond to these situations. Mm-hmm. One of the things you did after you got home, if I remember correctly from our email exchange, was at some point you put in the word suicide into Apple or Spotify or some other platform, right? Yeah. I guess I just felt very alienated. Like there was no one to talk to and no one that really understood why I attempted and why mm-hmm. I still feel the way I feel. And so I was just trying to find a, a space for other people talking and, and about and going through a similar experience. And so it's mm-hmm. kind of just a, a reminder to, I use the podcast as a reminder to myself that like I'm, I'm not alone in this. Mm-hmm. The alone thing is just the real, for me anyway, that's just the real mm-hmm. most difficult thing for me. So other than your husband and medical professionals, how many people know about your attempt? Our, so my family knows, like my parents. Do. Mm-hmm. How are they with yeah. it? They're very want to fix it people. Yeah. So they're always just asking, like, what are we doing to fix this? Like, what, what's the next step? Like, what are you doing right now? To, and I get where they're coming from, but it's not always the most helpful approach. Yeah. And then um, a handful of, of friends know. But other than that, that's about it. And throughout this time, you've been mostly been able to keep working? Barely. I actually just last week um, started short-term disability because I just, I couldn't really work. I Mm. was barely getting any work done when I was working. And then I'd get stressed out that I wasn't getting any work done because I was too depressed to work and a cycle. So I finally took some time off. You were able to get some short-term disability from, from mental health condition. That's Mm -hmm. all right. I like hearing that, frankly, that, that, that's something that is diagnosable and that people honor and you get taken care of good. I, and the work wasn't related to political theory. No, mm-hmm. I work for a software company. Of course. Yeah. All right. Software theory. Um, what helps you feel better, if anything? 
I would say talking to people. Mm. I historically, I've been one that does not like to share how I feel with anyone. I've been to therapy for years and I would even <laughs> lie to my therapist all the time because I just hated being talking about how I was feeling. But this time around, I really tried to make an effort to talk and be honest with other people. It's actually quite refreshing to do that. And so when you say talking, I mean, this is talking, but this is sort of a one-off. Mm-hmm. I mean, mostly it's mostly my husband, but even that's progress compared to, I used to never share anything. So just being able to say when I'm not feeling great or when I am having a good day, that's helpful. And you're 25? Mm-hmm. 25 years old. You made it to 25. Are you, you know where I'm going to, you know what's coming. What's the number I should ask? 26, 30? I think if I can make it to 26, I could make it till 30. <laughs> All right. So it sounds like this is a, a big year. If you can mm-hmm. make it to 26, when's your birthday? October. All right. So you've got several months in Northern Detroit, Michigan. Husband's around. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of books. Yeah. Got a tattoo. Do you think about it every day? Yeah. And how sort of specific or granular does it get? Is it a general that's out there or thinking about the pills or I'm thinking about some other method? And It can get pretty specific and it's kind of funny because it's not funny, but one of the main, you know, things that if you have a plan, then like that's what's going to get you taken to the hospital or something. And so I find myself a lot just like trying to thought police myself <laughs> and be like, don't think of a plan. But then when you tell yourself to not think of one, then. Right. Like, don't, don't think about the big pink elephant in the room. It's like, oh, okay. all right. I won't. Yeah. You're probably not getting taken away anywhere for thinking something unless you share it with people. But that's the problem is that you just said, and it makes total sense. And it works for me too. Talking helps. Mm-hmm. And part of the talking could include what you just said. And then you're going to get taken somewhere that may not or probably won't help. And you might even get a big fat fucking bill for it. So it's a really tough spot to be in. That's the hard part is you got to find people in a space where you know that that isn't going to happen. Yeah. If you can find that. I don't know if I asked you this. I don't think I did. You found the podcast, which I'm glad you did. But then you emailed me. What was your reason? I'm glad you did. But you know, a lot of people would just listen and not not reach out. So what, what compelled you to reach out? I'd say it was almost like an act of defiance. I'm just really tired of Mm -hmm. having to skirt around this conversation, even in taking time off for work. You know, it it felt odd to say why I was taking time off. Um, And I feel like a lot of times people just feel, want to avoid the topic altogether and it can be frustrating. And so I guess this was my way of trying to, fight against that and be real and honest. Mm -hmm. Did you ever get any kind of diagnosis? Yeah, I was diagnosed with a major depressive disorder, but now um, we're not sure if I might be bipolar or not. We're still figuring out medications and all that stuff. Fun process, huh? Very fun. (laughs) Yeah. Do you sort of push back against that and that you might have a mental health condition that's got a name like that and stigma? No, I mean, I know for some people it can be difficult. Mm -hmm. For me, it's helpful because 
I have a tendency to, to think that it's all my fault. Like it's just in my head. And mm-hmm. if I work hard enough to be happier, then this wouldn't be happening to me, but to actually have it be a medical condition, it just makes it feel a little bit like it's not all my fault that, that I'm here. Mm-hmm. So that in the, in the effort to try to treat it, are you on meds? Mm-hmm. Do they think, do you think they help? No, not, not what I'm currently on anyways. Right. Whatever you're taking or whatever the amount is, like you said, you're still thinking about it. Mm-hmm. You're still ideate, I guess, is a, a word we could use. Yeah. And I guess the frustrating thing is, is that like it takes so long sometimes for these things to work. I don't know. I'm still trying to be a little hopeful that maybe something can work, but only time will tell. So, yeah. Do you think people who don't have, and I'm going to use this word sort of loosely, mental illness, try to end their lives? That's not a loaded question. I think there might be instances where people without mental illness try to end their lives. I think mm-hmm. I think it just has to be like the perfect cocktail of hopelessness and pain and feeling like a burden and all of that. If it comes together the right way, then it seems like the only way out. Yeah. Do you are you currently drinking similar amounts? I have not had a drink since I attempted Really? Mm-hmm. How did you stop? Well, originally I stopped because my husband took all the booze out of the house. And right when I got out of the hospital, he was keeping you know, an eye on me to make sure I wasn't, because I obviously don't go to good places when I drink. I started attending AA meetings and that's helped. That's helped also. Mm, good for you. I mean, that's got to be really hard. There's got to be, I would imagine as a drinker or someone who struggled with it myself, there are these moments where you just want nothing more than a drink. That's what you want. Your mm-hmm. body wants it. Your brain wants it. Everything wants it. I think it's amazing that people just say, no, nah, I'm going to just do something else right now. I mean, I know if I like on a little app on my phone, you know, where I, you know, count the days and my pledge to myself, like, I know that if I do drink, I'll probably, if I start drinking again, then killing myself is like, almost a guarantee. (laughs) And so for that reason alone, I've been not drinking. That said though, I am under the impression that there's a part of you that doesn't want to be alive. It's the sense I get, I could be way wrong. So it's, so when you say that, it's interesting that I hear like, I don't want to drink because I know if I do, I'm likely to end my life and I'm not putting words in your mouth. It just sounds like, all right, maybe I want to be alive. Yeah. It's probably one of the most frustrating parts <laughs> is that I do feel very torn on it because I mean, there's moments where, yeah, I definitely can't do this anymore. But then there's also, you know, I just think of all the people in my life that would be sad if I was gone and mm-hmm. the tiniest little chance that maybe I'll start to feel better. Or something will work. You know, sometimes I can feel a little hopeful and then sometimes it's not so easy to. So mm-hmm. it really just depends on the day. Yeah. So now that you're not working, what are your days like? So it's only been about a, a week. Honestly, it's just me trying to do small things like laundry and mm-hmm. dishes because I wasn't <laughs> really doing any of those things. 
you know, I have a lot of doctor's appointments and therapy appointments and just trying to keep myself busy with anything that I guess is good for me. Yeah. Are the doctor's appointments, does it feel exhausting? And I'm not trying to like lead you down a particular path here, but this is not going to work. What the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Especially the psychiatry appointments. I mean, this is just my experience with most psychiatrists, but I get to talk to them for two seconds and I don't understand how they can have any understanding of what's going on with me. It's frustrating. I feel like, and I'm, I'm a bad advocate for myself too, is -hmm. part of it. I should do a better job at that, but yeah, it's, it's frustrating, especially when things don't seem to be working. Yeah. It takes forever. I've had a lot of conversations or a good number of conversations with psychiatrists or therapists. And I just, I'm like, I don't like you. I don't get you. I don't understand where you're coming from. I guess they mean well, usually, I don't know. Is there anything anybody in the world could say to you? Like, so I'm thinking about people who hear this, right? And I know that it's a particular sort of group of people that might be, who might find the podcast and then actually listen to stuff. If there's a Marley out there somewhere, right? Is there anything you could say to this person that would help? Like realistically? That's a tough question. I feel like there's things that we we say that we think help. I mean, but to be honest, at the end of the day, you know, if a person's really in a dark place, there's really not a, a whole lot that can be said yep. to help. I do think there's things that can be like done to help with people just being there for others and creating a space to to listen and for a safe place for people to to be. But in terms of this phrase or this tip will change your life, I don't I don't have anything. Me neither. Are there any myths that you want to discuss, dispel? I think these have been mentioned on the podcast before, but the big mm-hmm. one for me is that I mean, talking about it isn't gonna make me want to uh is isn't gonna make me more suicidal. If anything, it's almost the opposite. I feel like secrecy is the place where things get worse. And if there's a space to to talk about it, then it makes me feel better, at least. It's an echo chamber though. I have tried to have these conversations with people and I'm unfortunately feeling like, at least as I as I share with this with you right now, either they get it or they don't. And nothing I say is going to change. Like I can be the greatest wordsmith, poet, They're just going to keep on doing what they're doing and fixing and all the, you know, whatever, not creating a space. And just, I think that's my main goal. It's one of the top couple of goals I have with the entire podcast. And I often wonder, is it really like, is anybody actually modifying their behavior in a way that would help people in their lives who need someone to, I don't know, I'm babbling. I think so. Uh, I know my husband listened to the podcast when after I attempted and he was trying yeah. to learn better ways to just create a, a safer space where, you know, and do a better job at listening. Mm. All right. But he's already somebody listening and he's already in the <laughs> medical field and he's already a nice guy. And, but sure. Okay. Fair, fair. Baby steps, right? Mm-hmm. What else would you like to share with whoever's listening? We have over 8,000 a month now. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. 8,000 human beings. I don't actually know how accurate that is, but my podcast host says that. So there's some people that do hear this, presumably some attempt survivors like yourself. My guess is a fair number of people who are thinking about it, 
maybe on that path, you know, and then maybe some people who are just sort of like, all right, my spouse, my child, my coworker, someone is going through something. So open, open question for you, open sort of like, what else would you like to share with them or with me? Yeah. I mean, the, the main thing on my mind is just how important it is, you know, in terms of, of things we can do uh, when we're on that path. I mean, how important it is to be able, and we've, we've already talked about this, but just how important it is to be able to have a person, even if it's just one to be able to speak to and feel safe speaking to. And obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, the frustrating thing is that it's not available for everyone, but if you do have that person, then, I mean, try, you know, giving it a try because it might actually be really helpful just to, to be honest with someone. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to add to that, whoever's hearing this, try being that person. Do you have a favorite political theorist? <laughs> it's going to sound, probably a lot of people are going to disagree with me. I really like uh, Karl Marx. <laughs> why, why? No, no. I mean, that's very interesting. I like Marx. A lot of people like, like his, his understanding of how our current system works. It's yeah. So I'm not getting, I'm not one of these people who like this whole, like the red scare, like that was all, bullshit. <laughs> that was all just yeah. rhetoric scare tactics. And his ideas, I don't think really had much to do with what actually happened in no. cold war Soviet union. Uh, but, but you could argue maybe that his ideas in practice will inevitably lead to something like that. Isn't this the argument people have is like, it only works. Pure Marxism really can only work in a very small group of like homogeneous people. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't really, it's funny because he doesn't really offer a solution. He more so just like, is like, this is the problem. That's how I am. <laughs> and that's kind of what I like about it, I guess. Is yes. I don't really know the solution, but at least yeah. it's clearly identifying the the problem so yes that's this podcast reminds me of that a little bit like i don't have solutions but there are plenty of problems we could talk about them yep um given that you live grew up in and live in the uh, state of michigan i do have a couple of questions about that state mm-hmm. nothing to do with suicide one what exactly is the up <laughs> the upper peninsula okay and why is it part of your state if it's not attached that's a good question I like having it. Okay. <laughs> I want to give it to Wisconsin or uh, Minnesota. There's a lot more mountains up there and a lot more Lake Superior is cool. I don't know. Maybe okay. it's the lakes. That's why we have it. Okay. Did you go to either the University of Michigan or Michigan State? Michigan State. So you are a Spartan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you a Detroit sports fan? I don't really watch a ton of sports. My husband is a big Lions fan, even though they lose I all the time. Very <laughs> sorry for your husband. <laughs> He's a yeah, he will religiously watch them every time they play. But kudos to him for supporting a team that's been struggling so much for so yeah. long. Yeah. Did you meet your husband in college? I did, yeah. And he's a doctor? Almost. He graduates in May. Congratulations to him. What kind of, does he have a specialty? I don't know how that works. Yeah, family medicine. All right. Are you two planning a family? Maybe eventually when I get my shit together. <laughs> right, right. No pressure. No pressure, Marley. What is your um, birth first name? Marley. It's a mix of my parents' names. Yeah, okay. the M-A-R of Mark and the L-I-E of Julie. 
Mark and Julie. Yep. Do they know, or does anybody know, that for the past 50 minutes, you've been talking to me? My husband does. He does? Mm-hmm. And this isn't like live radio. He can't be hearing it. This is a pod- I'm recording this, and then it'll be out in a month or two. All right. So he's is he on board? Yeah, he is. He thinks it's a good thing. Is he like right next to you, but I can't see him? No, he's at work. <laughs> he's like the whole time. He's like, go, Marley, go. <laughs> Rooting you on like he does the lions. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate you reaching out and then joining me and, and sharing. Yeah, thanks for letting me share. And I hope I wasn't too awkward. <laughs> no, I mean, awkward's good. You weren't, but that's part of it. I do think people will hear it and and get something from it. I don't know what that thing is. It's not so prescriptive, but like you said, and I think the main thing for people, if anything, if, if, if nothing else is like, oh, okay, I'm not the only person in the entire world going through this thing. And that is a big thing. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if it's enough for some people. Is that the difference maker? Maybe not, but it, hey, even look, if they hear this and for even an hour, they feel slightly less shitty. That's something. Yeah. Little less alone, Marley in Michigan, with the help of technology, <laughs> people in different places can hear it. There was a guy that emailed me earlier today from New Frickin' Zealand. Wow. Yeah. So, hey, we're doing it. So, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. Of course. Thanks again, Marley. Hope your uh, hope your day is decent. <laughs> Thanks you too, Sean. All right. Take care. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Marley up in Michigan. Thank you, Marley. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And hey, remember, we've got a website that's almost built. It's nothing too fancy, but it will let you send us a voice recording. That could be a question, that could be a comment, that could be an idea, whatever you'd like. I'm really excited about that. I'll let you know when that's live. In the meantime, if you listen on Apple, rate and review this podcast. It helps people find it. Thanks for that. That is all for episode number 96. Stay strong, do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.